On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Um, it won't surprise you to learn that although there's a variety of stories on the newspapers, there is one common theme uh, of all the photographs. Uh, there's a lot of smiling men uh, wearing Ireland rugby jerseys, uh, most of them on the pitch uh, at the Aviva Stadium during the various trophy lifts, the grands, uh, the um, Six Nations Trophy itself and the Triple Crown Shield uh, both being hoisted by uh, various men in green. There's also a picture in one of the papers of Leo Varadkar at Matty and Eddie's pub in Alexandria, Virginia yesterday watching the match uh, as Ireland won only their fourth ever uh, Grand Slam. And that is the main story of the Sunday Independent this morning. On the weekend of the wearing of the green, writes Tommy Conlon, it has seldom been worn better by anyone. A rugby team that has been breaking the mould in Irish sport for most of a year broke another one yesterday by doing what they were expected to do and living up to the pressure that had been weighed on their shoulders long before this Six Nations Championship began. They went out and they delivered on that expectation without crumbling under the anvil of its demands. Wales, France and Scotland were duly dispatched and last night they crossed the finishing line with a furlong to spare, vanquishing a gallant England. And uh, Front page column from, um, from Brendan O'Connor on that topic as well. Um... The front page of the Mail on Sunday. Uh, very different tack. Um, the government has defended a massive €1 billion Euro underspend on housing as it prepares to face down a Sinn Féin motion to extend the evictions ban next Tuesday. New figures reveal that the government has failed to spend a total of €999 million Euro earmarked for housing over the past four years while the country has been in a grip of an unprecedented accommodation crisis. And the revelation will heap further pressure on Fianna Fáil's Housing Minister Dara O'Brien as the coalition continues to come under fire over a controversial decision to lift the evictions ban without having a contingency plan in place to protect vulnerable tenants. I uh, should mention, by the way, that in the Sunday Independent, it uh, didn't manage to make the front page because of the rugby. But a column piece in there from Nasa Hurrigan, the Green Party TD for Dublin Central, who says that she will vote with that Sinn Féin motion uh, when it comes before the Dáil this week, which is likely to mean her being once again suspended uh, from membership of the Green Parliamentary Party. More about that, I'm sure, uh, when we do our deeper dive into the papers. Um, the front page of the Sunday Times. Uh, two pieces on the front page. First of all, the sidebar, which is an opinion poll, uh, the latest monthly poll commissioned by them carried out by Behaviour and Attitudes, which shows that support for Fianna Fáil has taken a four-point hit amid a backlash over the government's decision to lift the evictions ban and its handling of the housing crisis. Poll carried out between March the 4th and 14th, um, that's just right in the middle of the government uh, planning, announcing its plans for the housing moratorium on March the 7th, has Attitudes uh, for Fianna Fáil, uh, Mia Martin's party down uh, four points to 20%. That is the lowest that Fianna Fáil have been in any of this series of polls since November of 2021. Uh, support for Fine Gael and the Green Party remains stable. The coalition partners' popularity stands at 23 and 5% respectively. However, overall support levels for the government dealt a blow as concern grows over the housing crisis, dropping by four points from 50, 52 points to 48% in the poll. Uh, the SOC Dems are at 4% in this poll, which is not nearly what it was uh, in one of the other more recent ones, but it is a doubling of the SOC Dem support in this series from 2 to 4 The main story on the front page of the Sunday Times, uh, teachers live in fear of mistakes in gender wars, uh, is the headline on the piece. The classroom is now the front line of gender wars, according to teachers who have admitted that they are, quote, walking on eggshells and terrified of, quote, ending up in court like Enoch Burke. Speaking to the Sunday Times under condition of anonymity, three secondary school teachers have told of the difficulties they face as they navigate growing gender diversity and an ever-changing social environment in Irish schools. Um, I should just point out, uh, along the, that quote of ending up in court like Enoch Burke, of course, part of the reason why Enoch Burke ended up in court was not his stance on transgender issues. It was the manner in which he raised his grievances to school management. It wasn't about the substance, but rather about the way in which that was exercised. That's why he ended up in court, not because of his stance itself. Uh, but we should move on. 
Uh, finally for now the business post Tornishta treatment of small landlords is not fair uh, the Tornishta Michal Martin has said that the tax treatment of small landlords compared to large professional investors is not fair and that the government is drawing up plans to shift the balance to stop them fleeing the market uh, speaking exclusively to the business post in New York on Friday Martin said that measures in the next budget will incentivise small landlords to stay in the rental market and encourage new entrants to the sector Martin would not comment on specific measures being explored but he said that he and the current government believe that the current tax treatment of small landlords is not fair. The core issue is, he says, how do we reach a tipping point that someone says it's a no-brainer for me to rent out my house? Uh, we have to take measures to enable landlords to see the tipping point that it's worth their while to stay in the market. That is your uh, quick potted view of what is in the front pages of this morning's papers. Join the studio to discuss those stories and more uh, by John Lee, who's executive editor of the Daily Mail Group, and by Valerie Cox, journalist and author. Uh, you're both very welcome to the uh, studio this morning. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, before we go any deeper into any of the stories, we probably should just spend a couple of minutes. We will be talking about it more in the second hour with Alan Quinlan uh, but that remarkable feat uh, by the Irish rugby team yesterday their third uh, Grand Slam in 15 years the fourth time they've done it ever the first time that it's ever been concluded in Dublin uh, and John looking pretty solid now for a good tilt at the World Cup for once Yeah but I think we, ha- we have before just you know you're burnt so many times when it comes to World Cup you, you, you never really believe the Southern Hemisphere teams will come come to it mm. um, in as bad a form as they've been probably for the last year so New Zealand are at their lowest ebb ever um, well in a long time and um, Australia seems to be in a constant state of um, of transition so maybe this could be our big chance um, Cl- Clive Woodward writing in our paper today says the two best play- teams in the world not only going in rankings are France and Ireland we mm. um, probably um, are a bit ahead of France so this could be the time and we haven't got a huge distance to travel nor do our fans only as far as Paris mm. Problem there of course being that Paris if, if France are the number two team in the world and giving them home advantage for the tournament is always going to be mean that you're fighting a little bit more of an uphill battle than you would otherwise Yeah yeah, and uh, France is, um, has got a lot of protests going on a lot of strikes at the moment let's hope they're all finished by then <laughs> uh, Valerie were you watching yesterday's game? I was watching every moment of it Gavin yes I was Thank you for watching Verdi Medium 1 <laughs> Uh, plug. Uh, what, what did you make of the whole occasion? Well, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I was very glad it was there. Um, I, you know, I think we should even forget about the World Cup for the moment and just bask in the glory of what happened yesterday because it was quite extraordinary. And I've been reading the coverage in the papers. I mean, there's not an awful lot more anybody can say mm. about what happened. But I loved the Mail's coverage, actually. Uh, lovely photographs of Johnny Sexton with his children. Mm. And Daddy brings it home. <coughs> Excuse me. And he says there's a great emphasis in the team on family members and the several other people there, Bondiaki and a few others as well. Um, I can't find the name of the photographer, but well done to whoever it was. Mm. There's a wonderful clip doing the rounds of, of Johnny Sexton doing a kind of a secret handshake uh, with his son just over the railings, which is just a, a lovely family moment. But it was lovely to see so many of the extended family members being able to enjoy that occasion because they put up with an awful lot uh, losing their their daddies uh, and their other um, father figures who are going on uh, all these extended uh, camps and all these extended summer tours as well they don't see them for a lot of time so uh, it's really nice that they're able to enjoy some of the moments when things do go their way um, on more fundamental issues uh, inside the papers um, I mentioned John um, that piece by Nasa Harrigan uh, who's writing in the Sunday Independent today confirming uh, that she plans to vote against the government to keep the evictions ban now we did ask uh, Nasa if she was prepared to come on this morning uh, a combination of it being Mother's Day and her having tonsillitis means she wasn't able to uh, actually join us uh, but what do you make of her disclosure and do you think it's much of a surprise um, you know, she has she has become a bit of a serial um, uh, whip evader, 
um, that's a parliament that's a parliamentary party issue. I I, I empathise with her because ultimately, in her in her for political reasons in her constituency, Mary Lou Macdonald, like as is the case in many Dublin constituencies around the country, had a huge majority. She will have a running mate next time out, and one would suspect the, the TD under the greatest threat is 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 NASA Harrigan. But of course, her colleagues in government will will say that well, we're facing as much pressure in our constituencies over this issue as anybody else. I actually. Uh, on housing, I think it's the wrong one. Y- you know, this what what the what the eviction ban and failure to renew it has exposed is the utter dysfunctionality of how the Department of Housing is being run. Because mm. unless I misread it, it always had a title of temporary eviction ban. So the the real failure here is is the the, the failure to prepare for it. You know, we, we all knew it was coming. We all knew, and whether we like it or not, and they, this may not always be the case, we live in a capitalist society. You cannot bring in a a fundamental um, reform of how people handle private property without proper preparation for that, which they yeah. didn't do. And then, in those six months, there's been no temporary measures made and, um, and uh, in preparation for this, and I think NASA Harrigan, if she has the courage of her convictions, should resign from government altogether, and do so on once and for all on on the on the housing well, housing issue. Uh, this, this particular on, on, on issue. What's been done in the meantime? We had Dara Bryan. Uh, we played extracts of an interview on the sh- the program this time last week before he went to Savannah for St Patrick's Day, and he was pointing out that not alone has there obviously been more pre- more progress on permanent housing in the five months of the moratorium but that they've also introduced 650 or 700 more emergency beds in the system which means that they they ought to have some buffer to be able to accommodate whatever number arises now there seems to be a disinclination to 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 say it how it is i think sometimes with housing i mean i wrote a column last week so i'm right i'm saying this on the basis of that Darrell o'brien in succession to a number of uh, housing ministers has been a complete failure in the Department of Housing. A complete failure, and there's, uh, the, the figures on homelessness prove that there have been. And when you're running a, a, a massive infrastructure project as he is, um, you have to take responsibility for it. Alongside the long term, how it, it, like it's not enough to say, okay, listen, it takes a long time to build a house. We, we know that. Along ter- alongside those long term housing provisions that you're running, there has to be short-term measures. For instance, plucking some a fact out of the air, For in, uh, um, there were promises a year ago of modular housing for refugees. A year ago. Mm. They take six weeks to build. They do not have to go through the usual planning um, processes. Where are they? They don't exist. You know, we had, spe- we had talk of... Um, of and and you can recite back to me quickly. I'm sure you can, Gavin. You're 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 as on top of the, all this as anybody else. All the reasons you can't do this. We, we there are derelict houses all over the country. We were told there was something going to be done with them. Nothing was done, and I was told, oh, there's safety issues, there's fire issues, there's red tape. It's the local authorities. It just wasn't done, and and. Uh, uh, you can you can look at above shops. There was an awful lot of short uh, dwellings yeah. above houses. Estimates of three hundred thousand dwellings mm. above above shops in, in in cities. Nothing was done well, do, there. Do, do you th- and who pays the price? Do, for do it? you think that that's political willpower, or do you think it's bureaucracy that gets in the way, or a combination of both? Uh, well, absolutely a combination of both. But I remember having a conversation with Owen Murphy now six years ago. Um, 
and a long conversation I was struck by his um, almost um, naive but yet admirable will to do something Mm. I remember him saying to me then okay I've been I'm planning on taking executive powers off local authorities and moving on issues like housing and everything else Mm. once the officials got a hold of the poor man that was gone we haven't heard anything of it since. So it's six years on one small issue we're dealing with executive powers being looked at has been taken off it. And it's, who pays the price? You know, Dara O'Brien was the only minister who was told prior to the, the reshuffle that he was guaranteed a reappointment. Yeah. Absolutely guaranteed a reappointment. Michal Martin has taken no responsibility for this either. I mean, you know, there was a lot of comments on some of the um, unwise things Leo Varadkar said during the week in, 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 in Washington when mm. Michal Martin was going around saying we turn the corner on housing and it is you know I think there's a reduction to people because it's gone on so long to say it how yeah. it is but it is an embarrassment all of it uh, Valerie plenty of mm. coverage on housing about NASA Harrigan about Fianna Fáil's poll rating as a result of all of this I Absolutely. should say by the way before not to interrupt you but um, Sean was in touch um, mentioning that we didn't discuss the poll rating for Sinn Féin uh, have they gone up or down uh, the reason we didn't is because they're, they're, it's not mentioned in the first few paragraphs of the piece Sean uh, but Sinn Féin's uh, rating has gone up one point in the last month and now stands at 32 a number of which I'm sure Sinn Féin are particularly pleased about given sure its, uh, its Irish symbolism yeah. uh, Valerie your thoughts on, yeah. on the housing coverage this well morning? I mean first of all I think we should stop blaming the landlords this is not their problem really yes if we need to get plenty of housing if we need to house people then the government must turn to the landlords and must make certain concessions and must bring them on board but the landlords of this country are not responsible for the housing crisis I mean if we go back many many years to when we had a real housing crisis when we had people living in tenements all over Dublin all over the city centre the then government were able to step in and build large housing estates in places like Cabra Crumlin, Drimna, all of these places and to rehouse those people and give them a decent quality of living. And they were coming from a situation it wasn't like kipping on somebody's couch or living with mummy and daddy. It was a really bad situation where many of them had no electricity, they were living 12 people to a room and the government then was able to do this. So for me, the present crisis is called is caused by the government's sheer laziness. There is no will there to get out and do so you, something. So you think it's not a case of bureaucracy, it, it is an absence of willpower? I think it's totally an absence of willpower, absolutely. Because if you think about it, the things they're coming up with, oh, let's build lots of tents and uh, modular homes. As you said, John, the property is there. People are writing about uh, Bagger Street Hospital down the road an awful lot. Mm. See you every <laughs> Excuse morning, me. yeah. Yeah. Loads of accommodation there. And those buildings are not so long empty, not so long derelict that they couldn't get in and do something with it. And I also thought, we haven't mentioned it yet, but I thought that Ivana Bacic's um, interview with Hugh O'Connell was very interesting. Yes, yeah. um, because um, she says if they don't, um, if they, she's talking about the next 12 months and what's going to happen to Labour. And, you know, she's asked um, Leo Varadkar to adopt a bill to extend the eviction ban. And here's some yeah. threat. Okay, okay, just try and, try and keep into the microphone sorry, if you can. Sorry, sorry, sorry. thank um, you. Um, here's some threat because she says, if they don't do that, then I think we're going to have no choice but to put down a motion of no confidence in the government. Which which I suppose is, is effectively what this motion on, on Wednesday is kind of likely to become anyway, because I think if you if you stand by the government stance on this, it's tantamount to being a, a confidence vote anyway. Um, just on, on one other note on housing, uh, the front page of the Business Post, John, um, that interview with Michal Martin, uh, who has also been in, in the US this week, he's been in New York and Boston, and talking about the tax treatment of small landlords and that the government's going to look at it. 
this again is another one of those things that the government's been looking at for ages. Like I remember there being discussions in the last budget where there was like, oh, we have to do something for renters and they brought in the rent tax credit. But they're also saying, well, we have to do something for landlords as well. And they couldn't agree then what they were going to do for landlords. And then they were talking about were they going to do something for landlords in parallel with the evictions ban being lifted and they couldn't decide on it then either. They keep talking about there needing to be some change, but it's a little bit like shattered reform that like if no one can agree on what you can do, then nothing gets done. They've spent an awful long time thinking about it. But th- th- this is the theme and like at risk of sounding like a, a, a bit of a lunatic, you know, this people have recollection of these things being said before. I, 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 as far as I recall, and I read it somewhere in the papers this morning that November twenty twenty one, they had a huge flight of small landlords from the sector, and there was nothing to be done then. Michal Martin's own government in the last couple of weeks have said there is no way there are going to be any tax provisions made for any particular sector. Uh, Michael McGrath said this mm. uh, mid-budgetary process. Yeah. He himself so, said which, that. Which means nothing till October. So is yeah. there something in the air when you go to the United States you think you're slightly outside of the usual strictures of people remembering what you've just said a week beforehand? But they have said themselves there is no possibility of this. So it's the next election. Sure, by the next budget... Sure, all those people you could have stopped even the small, um, the, the, mm. the, uh, the sector will have left. Which I suppose then f- furthers the argument that it is willpower because if they really did want to do something they would do it outside of the budgetary cycle because it's necessary. But of course they would and of course there would have been preparations made in the last six months to have some kind of emergency. There are, it, you know, in every, se- in every section of our housing crisis there are issues probably people don't air. To, to put people in um, modular homes might not be what the people themselves, the poor benighted homeless people themselves who have lost their houses want to do. Yeah. But at least there's a roof over their head. But there's... A, the, and on refugees to have people housed in tents, there is no other option but to put refugees in tents. When you have decided to take 100,000 people into the country and you've nowhere to put them. Yeah. You know, it's just, mm. it's just Kafkaesque an awful lot of it. And then Michal Martin, again, I go back to it, reappointed Dara O'Brien ahead of everybody else and now he's coming out with this and, I, and I, I, I'd be reluctant about the tarnish to use words strong enough to describe those kind of quotes because he himself in his government has ruled out any kind of provisions for, for um, small sector landlords they're all gone now anyway yeah. that ship has sailed uh, there's, there's one line in that interview with Killian Woods there Martin says the government cannot make knee-jerk responses to address the trend of evictions in the rental sector due to the risk of unintended consequences but yet they're also discussing how to make short-term changes uh, on plenty of other fronts. Uh, understandably, quite a bit of coverage given the week that's in it about Leo Varadkar's trip to Washington, about Michal Martin's trip to the United States, even a little bit about Eamon Ryan's trip to China. Um, but there's a lot of it about, um, of course, Leo Varadkar going to the Oval Office and the prospect of Joe Biden um, coming this way in a few weeks or so. Um, John, where do you want to start with all of this? Um, <laughs> well, let's hope Joe, Joe Biden makes it. You know, I'm a huge supporter of when when I'm asked in shows like this whether you know this big uh, exodus is a, is a bad thing or a good thing mm. it's you've been there yeah. just recently you mm. understand you see and you've been there <laughs> home six hours yeah you're, so I've you're, been there. you're, you're basically um by uh, on bo- in both sides of the world at once at the moment but it's extremely important and it, it it takes your breath away in many in many ways when you're there the the extent to which the uh, one of the biggest one of the biggest democracies on the planet takes um take such notice of a small country it is a unique we've heard it before a unique honour mm. to get into the White House no one else gets it I don't think even Israel one of the United States closest allies can be assured of a yearly um, no, not, not yearly there. Yeah. and um, 
Leo Varadkar seemed to pretty much concentrate on it this year. In the past, I've been on trips with him when he's been all over the United States and um, he went to Washington to do the Washington thing. Mm. Um, the, jury's, <laughs> the jury's out on how it went, but that's... What, you know, he, what, he, it's why, a difficult one. Why do you think the jury is out on how it went? I, I noticed that when I asked you where you wanted to start, you pulled out a piece of page seven of your own paper, The Mail on Sunday this morning, which is questioning Leo Varadkar's um, value or his competence in a, in a way. When well, he's I thought that comment was... Um, this comment very, the, the comment on, on, on interns was very, very surprising for a man who has come from a background of discrimination himself, which he has spoken about due to his sexuality and his, and his racial background. Um, that he would would think that he'd be attuned to progressions in how we view a young woman being um, exploited by a man who was nearly 50 when she was 22 in the White House. And and, and surely a man who's tuned into the media as he is Mm. would have seen some of the interviews with Monica Lewinsky, not only her treatment um, by Bill Clinton, which I, I should point out she does, did in an interview I saw, say that she felt it was between two consenting adults, but her treatment online, her treatment as a pariah in society, um, the mere fact that the, the, the Lewinsky affair was called the Lewinsky affair as if yeah. she was somehow, she wasn't the married person mm. in this, and a, a person of power. Yeah. I, I thought, so it, I thought effectively it was, it was in this day and age, to say. making a joke about predatory behaviour like that was ill-judged. Well, completely out of, out, out of, um, out of context for a man who's representing his country in the United States with, with, in, a, in a sober conservative mm. uh, arena that he was in. Um, I heard a psychologist on the radio yesterday saying that, that, that somehow it, it, it's seen as an attempt to be the coolest person in the room. I thought it was, <coughs> that alone I thought was a very bad, a very, I'm very surprised at him. Mm. You know, he usually but, is attuned into these kind of things and he ha- has been very vocal on, on women's rights mm. um, in, in referenda and that kind yeah. of thing. It was just, I thought it was a crazy mm. thing to I, say. I would be upfront that I, I missed this remark in person because as it happens that the event that he made the remark at clashed with the news bulletin so I had to be in front of a camera to do the news bulletin like couldn't attend to this thing so I, I wasn't there firsthand. but the colleagues who were there told me that actually it simply didn't seem to raise much of an, an eyebrow at all when it was said in real time but that it did raise a bit of a titter because it was seen as being well a joke for an American audience not necessarily mm. a joke which would be then repackaged and consumed by an audience at home Valerie. Well it's still something he shouldn't <coughs> have said it's quite ridiculous he made a kind of an apology he said it was an ill-judged off-the-cuff remark which he regrets he didn't actually say sorry he through didn't actually say I apologise oh yeah that's right actually through his spokesperson mm. as well but you know the other thing about Leo um, which also mentioned in the mail is he declined an invitation to mm. lunch with a group of multinational firms now apparently the business leaders were furious at this snub yeah. and if he's going out to do all these things for <coughs> Ireland, why wouldn't you have gone to the lunch? This was uh, explained away by some of those in the Taoiseach's group, uh, his his handlers if you like, as they found it quite hard to understand what the apparent fury or the snub was because Leo Varadkar was scheduled to meet with these people and fulfilled that meeting. And what seems to be the contention, and I know John has, uh, John has an editorial role in the paper that published this, so I'm not going to ask him to draw on it unless you'd like to. But the contention of the story was that when Leo Varadkar was invited to change his plans to stay behind after the scheduled meeting to extend it and to have lunch and to generally allow those executives to do a bit of hobnobbing, 
that he should have done so. Those from uh, around the Taoiseach circle would say, well, no, his diary is pretty micromanaged. And in fact, what he was scheduled to do was to take lunch and to get debriefed on matters still going on at home. Because although he's there representing the country abroad, he still has Mm -hmm. a country to run and that he was being brought up to speed on what was going on back at home. Um, So that they didn't think it was plausible or feasible to rearrange his diary at short notice to entertain but, a lunch that wasn't scheduled. But Gavin, you've been on, on so many of those trips. The whole point of you being there is to have these boring lunches that you don't want to be. And if you're some executive in the United States and you go along to a lunch and you're told beforehand, oh, by the way, the Taoiseach's not going to stay at it. it. Again, it just showed bad judgment in my view. I think the whole reason you're to be at those, what have you gone up to the speaker's lunch and shook a few hands mm. and then said, sorry, yeah, I can't make yeah. the speaker's lunch, I'm, I'm, this, which is called a lunch. Yeah. I'm going to go back to my room with crab salad, which he did. Yeah. Do you not think, and, though, that... Uh, it, and, and I take the point, and, and it's a an, legitimate editorial stance to take, but do you, do you think that had Leo Varadkar changed his schedule to meet with these executives and to allow them to do a bit of hobnobbing, which they might rationally have expected if they've shown up to this event and the Prime Minister of Ireland is there, that we would then be criticising Leo Varadkar for going out of his way to brown-nose these people instead of doing his I job don't think so. debriefed. No. You know, Craig Hughes was the man on the ground. I spoke to him, uh, our, our political correspondent, I spoke to him on the night of the story mm. and he read me through it um, in detail and he had spoken to senior executives and government officials um at the time who said they were very angered by it and again I and I was speaking to me as a person who's been on many of these trips and I understand the importance of of you yeah. having to do that and sit yeah. through those lunches God knows I had to sit through a lot of lunches myself <laughs> down the years which I didn't want to be at I wasn't going to get away with sh- shaking a few hands beforehand and then disappearing off to my room that's mm. not the way it works. So yeah. they're there that the whole point of this journey is to sort of allow FaceTime with these people because that's where the doors are broken again, down. Again, like, I'm, I'm surprised Adam. He's usually good at all this stuff. You know, I just... And, and again, it's in the context of a few things I've written since Christmas that there has been a, a, a deeply un, uh, underwhelmed reaction in his own party and within government to the lack of energy we've seen since he came in. Mm. One expected a, a flurry of of um, activity in the area of housing, for instance, which might need it under a young, um, forward-thinking Taoiseach whose party and his own political future depends on it. And we've seen nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been encumbered by crisis. Again, I'm just I'm just surprised at him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Valerie, there's quite a bit not written, uh, not alone about uh, the visit and how it's gone this week, but also about what Joe Biden will be doing when he's back or, or, and when he's here in yeah. a month. Um, plenty of coverage. Where would you like to jump well, in? Well, I, I, I was looking at the article from uh, Declan Power in The Independent and he's says this is not just malarkey uh, Joe hmm. Biden coming here the visit is very important now he he's obviously very positive towards it he says he wears his Irish ID on his sleeve he's got blood relations I think it's a fifth cousin who I heard an interview with saying she hoped he'd stop long enough to walk into the shop where she works um, <laughs> he says he stood hmm. up for Ireland during Brexit and saying we matter but you know I think we take this American thing too far yes of course America is desperately important but this brown nosing aspect I don't like and if we look back and when we all cringe when we think of how we welcomed Donald Trump we went down to Shannon we got a red carpet Mm. we had a harpist on the tarmac and then Donald Trump himself behaved kind of but off with us that you know? was that was I 20, sat 20 through dinner with them as well you know, so you I, did. I, 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 I sit and have I'm my meals not, not sure John was fully supposed to be there no, it's a story well, for another time but, uh, but, but when we rolled out the carpet for Donald Trump that wasn't for the president that was for a businessman who was investing at a time I the know. country was broke but was that the, not rash, was that not a, a fair thing to do at the time absolutely not and you know 
When um, when he stayed in his own place, June Beg, I was down there with a team of journalists. We stayed um, the night before and there was plenty of interaction with him. He had a row with Sean O'Rourke that you probably heard about. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he actually, Sean had asked him, um, did he, was his hair quite real? Yeah. And he lost his rag completely <laughs> and shouted at yeah. us and everything. I mean, the man. I think if it's Patrick asked him the same question and she didn't get shouted at, maybe it was because she was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Anyway, well, sorry, I don't mean to No, no, we all got shouted that but his main thing there was his golf his golf and the night before the golf actually mm. um, he, he knew my husband had written a book on golf and he collared him and he said um, now I want to know what do you think of my 15th tee what do you think of the green and then he sat down he was having his dinner and about every 15 minutes he'd jump up again and go over and ask another question about Brian's opinion on his golf and on <laughs> the greens you know I mean well, it, it was very difficult to talk to him about golf it, it's when you're there, Gavin, as yeah. you know, and um, you see the, um, the the product of it here with the FTI that comes from the United States, it means an awful lot to American people, even with the tenuous link to Ireland, to um, to do that whole thing, to to be in, in, in Washington, to be in New York on the day of St. Patrick's Day. And it, it translates into investment in this country. It's proven to have be, have, have done so. There, there are ma- many other places they can go in Europe. They come here, of course, the English-speaking aspect and now heightened by the fact that we're still in the EU and the other English-speaking yeah. country isn't. Um, but it, 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 it has that soft... It's hard often to monetize something like that, and yeah. we hate to monetize everything. But that soft diplomacy really works, and it's been very beneficial well, to this country dipl- diplomatically and financially. One thing that I was really struck by, and we will talk a little bit more about this when when I play you an interview with Marilyn McDonald later on, is uh, firstly that there was so much of focus this year on Northern Ireland. Of course, there was because it's the 25th anniversary of Good Friday. But that Joe Biden sat down with the leaders of all five of the Northern Irish parties uh, to try and discuss where we were with getting Stormont back up and running, and whether the Windsor framework would be enough, which was a level of micro engagement I'm not sure we've seen in a long time and B uh, before we move on that so much now happens in the Taoiseach slipstream that we saw people over there this year this was my sixth time doing a Washington trip with the Taoiseach and I've never seen as many other people from different sectors of society getting involved as well there's now this tradition of the Science Foundation presenting a medal to leading Irish American people in scientific fields every year this year for example uh, Kevin Callan and I met the, the General Secretary of FORSA country's biggest trade union he's never done the trip before this year he made the trip and because he was in the Taoiseach slipstream he was able to meet with the General Secretary of America's biggest trade union the AFL-CIO and the doors that are opened just by being there and by wearing a green tie when the Taoiseach is also around opening doors for you a lot of stuff gets done that wouldn't get done otherwise and I don't think we appreciate yet just how much stuff now is done in the uh, in the orbit of the Taoiseach, not just what the Taoiseach does himself. Uh, we will move on, though, because I want to spend a couple of minutes before we do move on talking about banking stories, because uh, this time last week we were discussing the, the fall of Silicon Valley Bank and Dan O'Brien was making the case that a lot of the structural issues there might have been replicated um, elsewhere. And we've seen a few banks this week suffering in the aftershocks that maybe there is something bigger. Um, Valerie, you've just immediately picked up a clipping. Uh, are you concerned yeah, about something? Um, I, was, I was reading the business post there. And there's an expert here, John O'Toole. He's head of the um, investment solutions at Amundi in Dublin. And he says the moment of reckoning is coming. 
But, you know, if you look through the papers, the Business Post particularly, there's a couple of different articles and there's various experts saying, you know, you know, don't panic, don't worry about this, this has all come right. So nobody seems to know what's really happening. They're blaming Credit Suisse um, on their own problems in the past where, you know, there were several scandals and all the rest of it. So they're saying we can't really look at this as one great big banking issue. We have to dig down into it and see who's done what. John? Any lessons learned from the previous time? Well, clearly not. Um, <laughs> I saw a piece in The Spectator which was very well written and interesting uh, assessment of it and, and it started with a quote from the late Queen Elizabeth who asked somebody at do once, how did no one see it coming? Yet again, we haven't seen this one coming. Um, I think Dan O'Brien may have said it last week but, but the Silicon Valley Bank was very reliant on um, the state of interest rates and wasn't expecting such a a yeah. belt even though it's been foreshadowed mm. for over a year that has sent off set off a chain of events in the west coast of the United States at least three regional banks there are in trouble Credit Suisse had to be bailed out by the by the, the Swiss government when its major shareholder the um, Saudi state bank decided it wasn't going to support it anymore and it just again shows the fragility of our bank, banking system in an area we thought wasn't fragile mm. I think it was even came down to a, an off hand remark we were there once again by a Saudi bank official um, which cast out and whether they'd support Credit Suisse. So Credit Suisse is in trouble and we know anything about the banking system. It's all interlinked and we could be in trouble mm, again. A yeah. uh, couple of texts and tweets. Uh, Jimmy asks, what happens to the houses when landlords leave the market? Because it's not like kids playing football who can take the ball with them and go home. I, I think the point, Jimmy, is that if a landlord leaves the market, then someone else buys the property and it might be an owner-occupier who doesn't keep it in the rental market. And there's always going to be a percentage of people who aren't appropriate for buying because they're young or they're in different phases of their life and they want to be able to rent but if there are fewer properties still left in the rental market that's where the shortage comes uh, and Eamon says Micheál Martin is correct in saying that we've turned the corner on housing the corner that we've turned however is that landlords and vulture funds now direct government policy on the issue uh, Eamon says that the second vulture funds were invited in the war on homelessness was lost it wasn't a very busy airport when I arrived into it uh, at a few minutes to five this morning uh, but it has been a very very busy airport for Dublin Airport probably one of the busiest uh, weekends that they've had since the end of the pandemic travel restrictions uh, let's talk to Graeme McQueen who's the media relations manager for the DAA uh, Graeme uh, good to talk to you this morning uh, can you give us a sense of how busy the airport's been over the last couple of days yeah it's been a, it's been a busy weekend probably our busiest uh, Paddy's weekend since before the pandemic certainly um uh, between Thursday and Saturday we had about quarter of a million passengers go through and um, it all went really well though um, and then today and Monday we'll see another 180,000 going through so today Sunday actually will be our probably our busiest day this year with about 96,000 uh, going through about 50,000 departures so lots of people heading back after the Paddy's weekend and also a lot of English rugby fans going through with sad faces this morning as well <laughs> uh, we've talking plenty more about that later in the show again uh, still to come on on the record um, how does that, that volume of passengers compare for this long weekend is that around about as busy as it ever gets because when you're talking about close to 100,000 people going through in a single day uh, either direction that sounds like it's comparable to peak time in summer yeah, in, in the summer we'd get up to around 110,000 on, on an individual day, so we're not far off that. It's certainly the biggest, uh, the busiest day uh, we've had since last summer, um, but, but things are going well. I checked in with the guys there this morning. Things are moving well. People are getting through in good time, and I think there's a lot of work going in to make sure that we are ready for these big weekends now. Um, obviously, last year was difficult at times, mm. but uh, we've got through a really busy Christmas there uh, with no problems, and, and, and Paddy's weekend so far has gone well, so that bodes well for 
for the summer to come. I was going to ask you what sort of lessons do you, do you learn from that? Not in the kind of a forensic way, but just in, in a sense of um, when you find yourself slightly taken aback by the volume of passengers that you had in the busy months of last summer, what do you learn or what else do you put in place to make sure that you're able to deal with that number again in future? Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things I'd mention. I think one of them is that we've got staff in place now who came on board last year um, who've now got a year of experience under the belt so things can move quicker. Um, the other thing we've built into the system and we've deployed that this morning, when things get really busy in one terminal, we're able to move staff between security lanes and T2 and T1 quite easily. So if any problems do emerge, we can, we can correct things pretty quickly. So that means you do get the odd little spike at times and, and, and with queue times, especially on really busy days like today. But there's resilience in the system now and as we continue to beef up the, the staff uh, for the summer um, that means that we'll hopefully get everyone away in good time this summer getting them off on their holidays It's interesting how you can kind of reconfigure things on the fly and get people moved between roles to try and sort of deal with the, the, the volumes as they come in uh, Before I let you go Grabe um, there's a lot of attention paid to the, um, the, the changes that you've made uh, in Terminal 1 people may have recognised if they were taking outbound flights particularly if they were going down towards the Ryanair gates they might have seen uh, all the sayings on the, the washing line uh, and they've been replaced uh, in, in recent months. What's gone there now? Yeah, so we, we used to have the word clouds. People will remember them with some... some. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it up to your listeners to decide whether they were witty or not, but some light-hearted <laughs> sayings. So we've... We've we've taken them off the off the off the off the off the walls and we've replaced them with with pictures that chart the history of Dublin Airport. So there's there's pictures up there of when the Beatles came through, when Katie Taylor came back with all their medals and things like that. So it's part of a refresh that we've given Terminal One, and that's ongoing at the moment. So and um, we're trying to make it look fresher and um, uh, give give people a new experience going through. Lots of other things happening as well. Big focus on putting in more seating. There'll be family areas and stuff going in there as well for the summer. So we're giving giving T one. A bit, a bit of an upgrade for anyone who's flying over the coming months. All right, we'll leave it there. Graham McQueen, Media Relations Manager at the DAA. Thanks very much for joining us this morning uh, on the record. Still joined in studio by Valerie Cox and John Lee going through some of the papers uh, this morning. Uh, Valerie, there's a piece on page four of the Mail on Sunday that you were particularly drawn to about, uh, about deer and the welfare yeah. of deer. It's quite horrific, actually. It's a video which has been put up on Facebook, a video of a man driving deliberately through a herd of deer, killing several of them and laughing and commenting as he does so. It was apparently the, the Gardaí have got the time of the attack at three in the morning um, from the uh, front of his car. They were able to see it, but they don't know who he is, where it was done, and they are very anxious to track him down and um, deal with him. It's, you know, it's illegal to go killing deer you have to have a shotgun licence you have to have a permit to go do it mm. and you know most of the illegal killing in this country is done by lamping that's where they go out with bright lights and maybe play a recording of a stag or something and shoot the deer when they're mesmerised by the lights okay. but this is an absolutely appalling attack on any animals I mean I know in this country we are culling deer we have to cull deer but it's done humanely this is exactly the opposite of humane somebody taking pleasure in riding over the deer causing them extreme pain it's just awfully cruel. So if anybody out there knows anything, they really should be in touch with the Garthi. I just think it's it's extraordinary that uh, not alone is it obviously illegal to kill deer in this manner, but obviously if this person is filming themselves doing it, it's also illegal to have a mobile phone in your hand while driving so that they just have such 
contempt for the law on so many fronts. This is true. Just remarkable. He may, although he may have had it balanced or something in the cab of the car. I don't uh, know. It's, it's possible. Um, John Lee, there are uh, quite a few pieces about the future of the Late Late Show, a national television institution which Radar, uh, which uh, excuse me, which Radar, which Ryan Tuberty has announced that he is standing down from at the end of the year, and, and an awful lot of uh, natural speculation about the runners and riders for who might be uh, in the, the frame to replace him, uh, but a lot of presumption that it's going to be a woman. Uh, the moment it happened, I've I've the I've the text. I can prove it. I sent to my wife, and I said that'll be Claire Byrne. I just think the the zeitgeist indicates that's the way they're going uh, in RTE. Um, it's a bit underwhelming. I think the 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 competition, as in immediately, RTE, the state broadcaster, has has it seems decided it has to be an internal appointee. Um, that doesn't show me a great sense of competition on the whole thing um, you know, Gavin Riley's name is not mentioned I noticed which, well, is, uh, yeah. which is a bit of a shock for me um, no, I say, would you, but do you think it would, like, would they ever go I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this to go fishing for the job I'm perfectly happy with the various roles that I've got right now thanks uh, very much but do you think that they'd uh, would they ever go externally but see, there's the problem why wouldn't they you know I mean what, why yeah, Graeme Norton's Irish there's no um, there's no discussion of him um, what whoever, wherever, they won't go anywhere dangerous, obviously, like Tommy Tiernan, who I'd certainly tune into the Late Late for the first time in 10 years, bar the, bar the, uh, bar the toy, toy show, show um, to watch Tommy Tiernan. I'd certainly watch him on the toy show. Do, do well. you think there's, the, there's actually, do you think there's a reasonable chance that Tuberty could hang around for the toy show, that he could still do that one instance a year? Because the toy show has now become this... No. You don't think so, Valerie? The new, the new person wouldn't tolerate it, would they? Okay. Did you know yeah. that, it, it, that it's a clean break? Yeah, it's a okay. clean break. Because to be fair, it. whoever is it picks up the gig, that's the one thing where every presenter brings their own sort of flavour to the, the Late Late Show. Obviously, Pat Kenny's was very different to Gaze. Ryan's is very different to Pat's. But that the toy show has become such a, a law unto itself. It's very difficult to imagine anyone else doing it with the same kind of character uh, that Ryan does. Um, I, for one, also think that it's, it's Claire Burns to lose. And I imagine that it was almost part of the choreography that when she decided to to hang up the mic from Clare Byrne Live yeah, on a Monday yeah. night that it would now mean that there was a, a weeknight free that she could prospectively do uh, some other TV work um, do, you want to, do you want to hear my conspiracy theory about what Ryan Tuberty is doing definitely yeah. I think he's going to run for president oh my <laughs> god yeah sure oh, why not <clears throat> I think Ryan Tobey is going to run for president because I think that an awful lot of his ethos to the Late Late Show in the last couple of years has been about this being almost like a national altar where you discuss um, you know issues that are of as universal appeal to everyone. I mm. think he particularly took his his perception as being some sort of nat- national pastor during COVID to heart. I think that he really enjoys the the idea of being the ringmaster for the national circus that is the toy show, and I think that it wouldn't be all that unusual for him to decide to go for the highest office in the country. I think he's also naturally a Finn Faller. I think, isn't his brother? By, um, by blood involved. anyway, yeah, but he's yeah. a relative, to, uh, relative of the Andrews family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, he's a cousin well, I mean, of he's a, he's a Andrews. Bertie won't be too happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's um, also his book he's on the Kennedys. Electable. I mean, he's very much into mm. history and the connections and all the rest of it. Do you know, um, I never thought of that, but now that you say it, 
it's actually quite plausible. Makes sense, yeah. But I think in terms of replacement, I don't think Orti will be afraid to go outside. Um, I mean, there's only 11 people have been named so far as possible. I well, think 12 now that John's put me in the mix. Well, yeah. Sorry about that, Maybe we should throw Valerie in. <laughs> yeah. maybe it Valerie, would you woman. do it? Would I do it? Oh, yeah. indeed. Um, and John, Gen- I mean, genuinely, would do you do it? Three of us together. The late, late. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. It would if, take if over they, your If life. they came knocking on your door, would you consider it? Well, I don't think they could afford me. I mean, that might be part of the problem. But I do think... Oh, it's not as we can afford you, to be perfectly honest. What are the viewing figures like? What are the late, late figures like? Yeah, late, you know that. I haven't a clue. It's still routinely around uh, five or 600,000 a week, I think. Because I noticed buried in Eve Horan's piece in the Sunday Independent, which I, I thought there would be a lot more focus on, um, she says there's speculation in RT that they may cut a half an hour off it. Well, is it not a bit of an anachronism is, is that the problem that it's not late, late enough? Right no, now. it's not it's early enough. People go to bed earlier now and they don't want something that late. But especially people who are going to the show. But I think they're going to have to change the format. I mean, the late, late. And I think they should drop the toy show. The toy Ooh, show is quite ridiculous. And no, as part of the late, late, it must take months for the researchers to be hired, to get out there, okay. to train the kids. You don't need that if they're going to make it a proper uh, late, too late night uh, show. Too late. I'm going to throw a snap poll up on Twitter in the next couple of minutes. Twitter.com forward slash Gav Riley on the record NT is our hashtag should they get rid of the toy show if Ryan Tuberty isn't around <laughs> to do it uh, in the meantime uh, Valerie Cox journalist and author and John Lee executive editor of the Daily Mail group thank you both very much for guiding us through the Sunday papers On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11 brought to you by PwC great minds think unalike different skill sets diverse opinions it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.